there's more to this life than I thought. And James inspires me. The things he says have encouraged me. It's like there's a walk, there's a path, and it's leading to something more real than I've ever known before, and it's exciting. I get around James and I hear things that help me in my life, my work. This work he talks about has become my work. I am excited about the possibility that other people could be affected, other people could be inspired to work on themselves, to grow, to, to realize there's more to this life. Do you remember the film, The Invisible Man? I think they probably have remakes of it now, but back in the old days when I was growing up, there was a black and white film, The Invisible Man, and it was one of my favorite films as a child. Not because The Invisible Man was so great, not because the film was so great, and the film wasn't really that great, but it was the idea. I thought being invisible would be really cool. I mean, for so in so many ways. One is... When I got in trouble, I could be invisible. I also like the Tom and Jerry cartoons, wherever they get into the cosmetic thing and then they get vanishing cream and put that on themselves and they disappear. And if you had a kind of a, well, an unpleasant childhood, I had an unpleasant childhood. A lot of people had childhoods that are just like almost idyllic. You know, it's like, really? You, you, your parents loved you? Wow. What do you mean your father talked to you? He didn't beat you. Uh, it, was, it's, it was difficult for me to understand that there was anybody like that, that there were people like that on the planet. But I saw them. Later in life, I saw people who, there were fathers who talked to their children. You know, they didn't just whack them upside the head or beat the tar out of them. And so that was a surprise to me. I thought, wow, that's really cool. Anyway, so being invisible, had its, the idea, it had its benefits, you know. It's like, well, if I could just be invisible to my father, that would be pretty cool. Later, I became fascinated with the invisible man in a new way. I discovered my own invisible man, as we all do. All of us have an invisible man. The problem is, it's difficult for us to discover it. As we get older, we lose touch with our invisible man and become visible men so that we fit in with all the other visibles in the visible world. You know, this is kind of like an allegory, I guess. If you understand that you're born awake, you're born in essence, and then you develop a false personality. In other words, your essence clothes itself. You remember the invisible man? He would, Because he was invisible, the only time you could see him is if it was raining or if there was fog or if there was snow or he was walking in sand. But if he was just walking along with nothing on, if he took all of his clothes off, he was just walking along, you couldn't see him couldn't see him. That was all there was to it. Now he, he had to open doors and do all that other stuff, just like everybody else. But if he wasn't wearing clothes, he was completely invisible. Well, that's how we're born, completely invisible. And then, in order to fit into the world of visible people, we start to put on articles of clothing. And most of them, because we're so young, are articles of clothing that they give us. And so we acquire all of these articles of clothing that we put on bit by bit by bit by bit by bit until by the time we're like this age, it's almost impossible for us to move. We have so much clothing on. Uh, Gurdjieff said so many overcoats on. Maybe Ospensky said that. But it's like having overcoats on, just layer after layer after layer of all of this clothing. So that's the idea. It's a necessary tragic loss which can't be avoided, but it can be remedied for some, but probably not for all. And the reason it can't be remedied for all is probably because not everyone wants to remedy it. There are some people who are absolutely fine wearing all that clothing. We're absolutely fine in the visible world with all the visibles. They like it and they want to stay there because they have some degree of satisfying degree of unconsciousness. 
They can be so unconscious that it's okay. They just resign themselves to being unconscious forever. Or they have hope. And it's a very low level of hope. The level of hope that I hope this will get better. And of course it may get better. But if it gets better, it's also going to get worse because that's the way things go. Esoteric teachings aim at making the invisible visible by teaching us how to think, how to feel, and how to see in a new way. Now that's a lot. Just learning how to think in a new way is very difficult for us. Learning how to feel in a new way is even more difficult. Learning how to see in a new way is even more difficult. We try to work it backwards. We try to see and feel and then think. And that's what keeps us here. But it has to be worked the other way around. We have to work from thinking to feeling to seeing. Knowing comes out of not knowing. I've told you this so many times that I know it's a mantra for you by now. Visible comes out of invisible. Manifest comes out of unmanifest. So Jess had a question earlier this morning about if it's all matter, then where's the line, where's the dividing line between the internal and the external? That was your question, wasn't it? The manifest world is apparent to the five senses. The five senses are very familiar with this and very comfortable with this. You're sitting in a chair. You take the chair away, you'd have to sit on the floor. You take the floor away, what are you going to (laughs) do? I don't know. That's just it. We are so tied to the five senses that we don't know what anything could be without these things. We don't know what life could possibly be. Life couldn't be without these things. If you don't have a body, then what good are these things? So naturally, our absolute terror of losing our body. The unmanifest world remains invisible to the external senses. Now this puts us in a big bind because everything that's real is in the unmanifest world and everything that's unreal is in the manifest world. But we don't know that. We think that everything is real is in the manifest world and everything that's unreal is in the unmanifest world. Our world is real because the five senses tell us it's real. There's something more real the five senses cannot perceive. Now, we're told this by people who have seen this world, who have entered this world, but we can't really believe this. This is very difficult for us. The conscious circle of humanity is not perceived by the five senses. The conscious circle of humanity, as I've said before, call it whatever you want, the saints, the gurus, the masters, I don't care what you call it. They are people who are conscious. They woke up. They're not like us. They see, move, and have their being in the unmanifest, and we see, move, and have our being in the manifest. So where is the line between these two? How do you get from one to the other? That's really Jess's question, which is a good question. But I've been telling you the answer to that for years And you're still asking the question, which tells me it doesn't matter how many times I tell you the answer. You must begin to apply what I'm telling you. If you don't apply it, you're going to keep asking the same question over and over again. And you're going to come up with the same answer. The answer is always the same. And the question is always the same. The problem with us is if we don't apply the answer, we will never get the question answered. We will never actually realize it. But the conscious circle of humanity is real, like real eye is real, like greater mind is real. And it's real like master is real. For us, that's 
Yes, but couldn't you give me something to hold on to? Yes, yes. I have given you something to hold on to. We're sitting here. We're talking about it here. We're talking about the unmanifest here in the manifest. I'm pointing you in the direction. I'm drawing a picture for you in the manifest of the unmanifest. I tell you allegories and stories to try and get you to make the leap. Where is that point? Where is that dividing line? It's wherever you are. You are the dividing line. You are the visible man and you are the invisible man. The invisible man is inside the visible man. It's like taking an earthworm apart. You dissect an earthworm and what you have is a dead worm in parts. You put all those parts back together, the worm's still dead because you couldn't find the invisible life force that animated that worm. And that's what the invisible life force that animates you, the invisible intelligence that animates that body, you can't find it by looking with a scalpel, by looking with these physical eyes. It has to be perceived in a different way. It has to be apprehended in a different way. But we don't know how to do that. There's a reason for that, and I'll explain it. Our path to the real is barred by what the external convinces us is real. It is only an outpicturing, like Plato's cave and the shadows on the wall. Have, you, have any of you read Plato's Republic? No. Okay, in book five, there's uh, an, alle- an analogy, an allegory about a cave that Plato has Socrates talking about to Plato's brother. And basically, what he says is, that there are pe- imagine there are people in this cave, and they're all chained together. They can't move their hands or their legs, so they've all chained. And they've been that way so long they don't know anything else. But not only that, but their heads are also held so that the only thing they can see is a wall directly in front of them. Behind them, raised up a little bit, is behind them is a fire. And then raised up between the fire and them, and the wall behind them, where they can't see, all they can see is directly in front of them, this wall. There are people who walk by on this raised walkway, casting shadows on the wall. And some of these people are carrying things. They carry animals and statues made of wood and stone and, and uh, other things and of people and animals and things like that. And they walk by and all that cast shadows on the wall because the fire is behind them. And these people watch the shadows on the wall. And eventually they start to give form to the shadows. They start to think that the shadows are real. Look, there's this. And they start to name them. There's this and there's that. And then the smartest guy in the chain gang is the one who can predict which shadow will come next. Okay? This is his allegory. But let's suppose that one of these men gets free from the chains. And he wanders away from there. And he turns around and he looks at the fire and it hurts his eyes. Because all he's seen his entire life is these shadows. It hurts his eyes, but eventually... He keeps trying and his, and his eyes become accustomed to the light. And he can see on the raised walkway, there are all these people walking, carrying these things. And he starts to realize, oh my gosh, what's on the wall is really a shadow of these people here. Now let's say that this guy also, he, after some time, he, he starts to understand and he starts to get out of the cave. And he gets out into the sunlight and it blinds him. And he turns back to the cave, to everything that he knew. But eventually, he gets out of the cave, and little by little, and he can't see anything outside the cave. All he can see is his blinding light. He's completely blinded in the sunlight. 
But let's say that his eyes eventually become accustomed to the light. He starts to see small things out there in the sunlight. And then he starts to see bigger things. Then he starts to see people. And then he starts to see the sun. He can actually see the sun. Now, let's suppose this man goes back into the cave. And as he goes back in, he sees his brethren that used to be there, all that he used to be chained up with. He sees all them there. And he kind of pities them. They're all there having a great time, you know, looking at the shadows and betting on which shadow is going to come next. And whoever whoever guessed the next shadow, whoever could predict the next shadow that came by the next form, that that was their leader. That was the smart guy. He was going to be the president. And so all this goes on and on in this story, this allegory, until finally he tries to tell the people and that are chained up. This is not the way that is, but they can't see a thing. They can't understand any of it. And they would have to be set free and then slowly come through this process. If he were to take one of them, unchain them, and drag them out into the sunlight, what would he do? He would run back into the cave and go back to what he knew was true, the shadows on the wall. This is a good example of the way we are. What we can see through the external senses is manifested. It's the shadows on the wall. I can't see your thoughts. I can't see your emotions. And I can't see your sensations because they are unmanifested. Now, it's like the invisible man. We can see tracks in the snow or sand. So I can see a look on your face and I can take a pretty good guess at what you may be thinking or feeling or sensing. Right? Just like, and so now I'm one of the smart ones chained here looking at the wall because I can predict what you're going to say or think or do or feel. I can predict what you're feeling. So now I'm one of the smart ones, so you make me the teacher. But the bottom line is we're still chained here looking at the shadows on the wall. We are both visible and invisible, manifest and unmanifest, an invisible man living in a visible body. It's good to remember this when trying to externally consider. We're invisible people living in visible bodies, trying to communicate with one another from a distance. And believe me, it's a huge distance. Between the unmanifest and the manifest, there may be a dividing line, but for us, there's such a huge distance. Why is that? Well, because we are so committed to the shadows on the wall. We are so committed to their reality that anything else is absolutely absurd to us. It's fantastic. It's science fiction. It's dream stuff. It's woo-woo stuff. It's airy-fairy. We can't get our minds to accept it unless we slowly begin to look at the light. And then just a very little bit of light and a little bit more and a little bit more. And it takes a long time for your eyes to grow accustomed to the light. So it's like here we are in these visible bodies and we're invisible and we're trying to communicate with one another. And it would be like learning sign language. That's pretty much how we communicate with one another. It's through sign language. Now, these people on the wall, they could also hear behind them that people would make noise. And the sound of that noise would bounce off the wall. And they would think they were hearing real sounds. And because their shadows were there on the wall, projected on the wall, they would think they were seeing real things. And so they could see and hear, just like we see and hear in an unreal world. Shadows and sounds that are reflected, that are not from the source, that are not real. Okay, so... As the visible man lives in the visible universe, so the invisible man lives in a much larger invisible universe, only touched interiorly. It can only be touched internally. You must deal with this within yourself. 
That does not mean in your liver, in your heart, in your lungs, in your kidneys, in your spleen, in your gallbladder, although you don't have one. It doesn't mean that. It means something else. It means something invisible. It means something unmanifest. And that is difficult for this mind to grasp because this mind doesn't know how to think. All it knows how to do is look at the wall, listen to the sounds bouncing off it, and look at the shadows projected onto it and think that's real. It takes a while to get the idea to doubt that everything that you see and hear is not real. It takes time to doubt yourself when you're so sure. For example, let's say there's a visible man and he's living the life of the rich and famous. His invisible man may be living in a hell of negativity. Oh no, people who are rich and famous are always happy because they have everything they want then why are they committing suicide, changing husbands, wives, lovers, mistresses? Why are they doing that so often if they're so happy and content? Well, because they're not happy. Because inside, they're living in a sea of negativity, just like all the rest of us. Everyone at this moment is in a certain place in the unmanifested earth. You know where you are in the manifested earth. You're right here. You're sitting in that chair. You're sitting on that love seat. You're sitting on that sofa. I'm sitting in this chair. We know where we are. We can locate ourselves here. This is real. Now, try and locate yourself internally. Uh, well, what should I look for? Well, <laughs> this is what we've been teaching you for years. What to look for. How to observe yourself interiorly, internally. Our psychological state places us internally. Where you are in the unmanifested world, the unmanifested universe, is wherever your psychological headspace has put you. So it can be very different from the visible place. We're all sitting in this room. We're all here in this room, in this visible place. But almost everyone is in a different place from everyone else internally. They're sitting in a different room, in a different country, in a different state. There may be someone sitting in internal Spain and someone sitting in internal Italy and someone sitting in internal Germany and someone sitting in internal Great Britain and someone sitting in internal America and someone sitting in internal New Zealand and someone sitting in internal Tasmania with the Tasmanian devil on his back. Here's the deal, though. Where we are in the invisible world makes or breaks our happiness in the visible world. It doesn't matter where you are in the visible world. Now, you don't believe this. You believe absolutely that if you're in Hawaii in the visible world and you have all the money that you need and you have servants and you have everything you need all the time, that you're happy. Now, since you're not there, you can imagine that you would be happy if you were there. Or perhaps you've been there. Maybe you've spent a week or two weeks or three weeks in Hawaii and you had it just like that. All the dancing girls throwing, putting lays on your neck and kissing you and welcoming you to the island and people treating you like you're a tourist and, and everything's wonderful and, and you're, because you have so much money, you're just giving them whatever and they all love you because as long as you're giving, everybody loves you. As long as you got money, as long as you got something you, they want, everybody loves you. But then after you're there for a few years, you start to realize that you really don't have any friends, that they're all just after your money. You're in a different place internally. And this is inevitable, of course, because this is what always happens. And people don't know that's going to happen. They just think, well, then I'll just 
buy some different friends or I'll accept this and just buy all my friends. But it doesn't work. But some people can go asleep enough to make it work. I hope you're not one of them. If you dwell in inward slums of self-pity and negativity, if you dwell in the ghetto of bitterness and despair, outer luxury becomes meaningless. I don't care what you've got. I don't care how fantastic your car is. I don't care how beautiful your wife is. I don't care how huge your mansion is. I don't care. I don't care how big your wine cellar is. I don't care if you have to have an elevator to get down to it. That's not what makes you happy. But you're convinced that it is. Because you're chained, looking at this wall, these shadows, and listening to these echoes of reality, and looking at shadows of reality. In the unmanifest world, we must learn to walk carefully and avoid certain unsavory towns, cities, and countries, and states. But we don't. We have our old haunts. We go to this whorehouse over here. We go to this bar over there. We go to this gambling place over there. Or we go over here to the dog fights or the cock fights or the wrestling matches or the gladiator fights or whatever. And this is what we do internally. Now, some people just go to church internally, which is pretty much not much better than the rest of it, as far as I can tell. If we want out of bad internal states, consciousness is our means of reaching higher levels than the external senses. The problem with us is is that our bad states are caused by the external senses. We have allowed the external senses to become real to us. So any shadow that we see there begins to terrify us. Or some shadow there, we want that shadow. We long for that shadow. Oh, when's that shadow? When's that coming back? It's not a shadow to us. Oh, when is that coming back? When is she going to be back? When is he going to be back? When am I going to get this? When am I going to get that? So we go down the line to the teacher or to the fortune teller or to the palm reader and he tells us, oh, it'll be in six people, six shadows from now that's going to come up. And we're all happy about that. Oh, that's wonderful. Sometimes they're right and sometimes they're wrong. Being part of the mechanical circle of humanity, we know nothing of the conscious circle of humanity. We think, we act from ourselves and imagine that we can do. We're so convinced that we act from ourselves. And we're so convinced that everything that we imagine we can actually do. That's so, we're so sure of that, that that chains us. That chains us in this chain gang looking at this wall. We can see the manifest world, but can only touch the unmanifested conscious circle of humanity by special means, internally, by inner experience, not through external senses. But we are so absolutely convinced and tied to the external senses that we can't pull ourselves away from them long enough to do anything internally in an experiential way. And I will give you, as an example, meditation. Your senses drive you insane when you're trying to meditate. They distract you constantly. You shut your ears, you shut your eyes, you burn incense maybe to mask any other smells, you, to get your mind set. You, would, you sit in a position and try to be very still and you don't scratch and you don't itch because that just makes it worse. Once you start, it just makes it worse. You try all of that, but the external senses drive you insane, don't they? Yeah. We have far more inner senses than outer, and yet we find it difficult to believe anything as true unless we can verify it through external senses. Somebody tells you something about the internal world, you want to verify it externally. You want to find somebody else who agrees. You want to hear somebody else agree. You want to read it in a book. You have all these things 
through the senses that you have to corroborate any truth that you hear internally. You're in prison. You're chained. The problem is they will only show us the manifest world and can never show us anything else. Belief is not sense. It's beyond sense. Beyond sense. In a sense, it's nonsense. Belief is nonsense to the external. It's crazy. To believe in what you can see or touch is not belief. So let's get that right now. It's not belief. I believe in this chair. Well, that's not belief. To believe that you can see that out there, that tree, that's not belief. Let me put it to you this way. In uh, John chapter 20, verses 24 through 29, But Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were saying to him, now these guys were all in this upper room and they had the doors and the windows closed and Jesus appeared there in the room. So out of the unmanifest into the manifest, this appeared. And anyway, so the other disciples were saying to Thomas, we have seen the Lord, but he said to them, unless I see in his hands the imprint of the nails and put my finger into the place of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. After eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors having been shut, and stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach here with your finger and see my hands, and reach here with your hand and put it into my side, and do not be unbelieving, but believing. Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who did not see and yet believed. Belief is an internal sense. The external sense that we're using that we call belief is not belief. Belief is an internal sense. You have to believe that greater mind exists. You have to believe that there is something beyond this physical world, beyond this manifest world. You have to believe that. If you don't believe that, this is all nonsense. And to this... You believing that is all nonsense. The mind looking out through the five senses will keep us trapped in the internal ghettos our whole lives. Every day, the same thoughts, the same feelings, repeating mechanically, again and again, over and over, constant repetition, same attitudes at work, the same mechanical prejudices, the same buffers, the same automatic talking, The same automatic phrases, repetitive phrases, you know? You know? I mean, you know what I'm talking about, right? You know? You know? That kind of thing. And look at how much of that we do. Yet, we imagine that we're fully conscious. We imagine that we can do. Well, fine. Don't say, you know, or whatever it is that you say. Don't say that. Don't say Coolio. Don't say Golden. Don't say, oh, it's all good. Don't say that. Take that out of your vocabulary. You can't do it. Did you imagine you can? And then when someone else charges you 25 cents for every time you say whatever it is, then you start to realize that you can't do. And this is the beginning of the undoing of this whole long, this is a long process, this undoing is a long process. People live and die just the same, never seeing what they were created to do in this life. You are here For a reason, and the reason is not what you have taken it to be. You are not here to make money. You are not here to have a family. You are not here to build houses. You are not here to do all that stuff. All that stuff is inconsequential. What you are here to do is discover your invisible man, to learn 
to identify with your invisible man instead of identifying with your visible man. You are here to work against daily mechanicalness. You are here to awaken from yourself. This self sitting in the chair looking at me now, that self, you are here to awaken from that self into the invisible self that you are. Man was not born to be mechanical. Man was not born to be chained, staring at this wall, watching shadows and listening to reflected sounds, echoes. We are born conscious to live conscious. We can have new experiences. We don't have to keep repeating all this. We can have new experiences. Experiences of an unmanifested universe. Experiences of the invisible realm. I promise you, there are realms, there are so much more inside than there is outside. So much more. It's incomprehensible. It's incomprehensible to me, and it's, at the moment, completely incomprehensible to you, (laughs) unless you have experienced some degree of it. And we all have experienced some degree of it. You must wish for a change of mind, or you'll live in the smallest parts of yourself. You'll waste your life in petty negative emotions and inner darkness, and you'll find a way to make do, just like those prisoners chained together, staring at the shadows on that wall. They found a way to be happy there, at least as happy, as content as they could be. But they had to sacrifice the truth in order to do that. My question to you is, are you willing to stop sacrificing the truth? Are you willing to face the truth, even though it may be uncomfortable? painful. And if you are, then you need to apply these ideas bit by bit, one after another, and make them real for you. Make real eye real for you. Often the practical application of these ideas sounds like it's going to be easy. The ideas sound great. When we actually run into a situation or a person who's being a little more difficult than we'd like, we find it's not as easy as we thought it was going to be. If you've hit a snag with some aspect of this work and its practical application in your everyday life, I invite you to write James at solidrockvista.com. Sometimes a fresh perspective is all it takes to get us back on the right track.